Hello, everybody, and welcome on into the State of Play podcast, episode 67. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me is the full crew once again, Matt Santangelo and Pepperisha. Fellas, we're in December already, pandemic. Um, COVID season 2.0 is flying by yet again. Um, we're in the latter stages of the group stage for the Champions League. Um, I mean, we're getting into the thick of things. This is when the Premier League gets real crazy in December. Um, first of all, how are you guys doing? Are you enjoying the cold weather that's about to embark on us all? And um, yeah. It's I'm doing pretty cold. well. Um, just wrapped <laughs> up with the uh, Thanksgiving holiday over here. Of course, um, a lot of football, American football. But yeah, to be in the thick of things for some of these top five leagues, uh, be kind of somewhat done with international play, I think, until March, if I'm correct. So to be kind of really ingrained and embedded as to what's going on in these domestic leagues, um, it, it's a very exciting time for sure. Yeah, Pat, you were, I, heard, I heard you. It didn't really get over Matt, but you're saying it's terribly <laughs> cold out in uh, London. Well, it's getting colder. I think what happens or what's happened in London for the past two or three years is like it's it's kind of sideways and then it gets a bit weirdly hotter and then gets really cold and then goes sideways a little bit warmer, then really, really cold. And we continue like that until we get to kind of like zero uh, usually in like January. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's like I've had family come over from abroad who are used mm-hmm. to kind of like minus five, minus six in peak winter. And they say to me like, London zero or one two degrees is colder. It feels colder. There's like a bite to the coldness. It's probably like the wind the dry chill air. because of uh... it's an island. The wind yeah, is fucking exactly. horrible. Basically, just don't come here over the winter. Basically, closer, closer, closer to the water, it gets colder. That's just, oh, that's you know, horrible, man. It's just the way it works. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpack as usual, but we have to start off the episode um, with a somber note. It's not really even a note. It's I mean, this is a gargantuan loss for the whole sport. Diego Maradona passed away at the age of 60 um, last week, right? I think it was on Wednesday, right after we already recorded. So we didn't get the opportunity to discuss it um, since then. But I mean, there isn't a more charismatic figure that also was the greatest player in the world for a long period of time, by far the best of his generation, winning trophies for clubs and countries that had no business winning the tournaments and trophies that they won to begin with. His off-field issues were well-documented. I mean, there's even some on-field stuff. That Barcelona clip was making the rounds around the internet when <laughs> that fight where he's just drop-kicking a bunch of players. He, he um, could have made it in the like WWE as well if he, he, if he, he really wanted like, a pivot. He could have done anything. I mean... He was so beloved by everyone and, you know, just everyone just had all these miraculous stories about him. And my favorite had been um, the Gary Lineker story. I don't know if Mm. either of you guys saw that. And he was just talking about how his peers were mesmerized by him. Do Mm -hmm. you realize how good you have to be at something for everybody that's extremely talented? And he was talking about Michelle Plantini's of the world and all these guys that they were just in awe of how good he was. And how he would just launch the ball from his feet up into the air 30 times in a row where he would barely have to move in any direction, backwards, forwards, left, right, to get the ball to come back and land on his feet. And Gary Lineker said he went back to go and train with a bunch of his professional footballing teammates that the most that any of them could do was three. And then on the third one, the ball went 20 yards in the other direction and they had to go get it. Like that, you know, it was a street street footballer mixed with someone who knew how to play the game but was as dominant as anyone that's ever played and I mean it's just I mean it's incredibly sad 60 is still very young Mm -hmm. and I mean we'll never see anything like this again the whole the whole story of what he did with Argentina and that World Cup that's still to this day the best performance for a player in a World Cup in my opinion and what he did with Napoli that that incredible achievement yeah. with Serie A at that time, as many people would know, that was the best league in the world. And some of those sides that he went up against and won uh, the league title, and they haven't won it since. It's just, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it gives you goosebumps every time. Has the greatest goal of all time as well in that World Cup for England. And then the hand of God was in the same match. Like, can you just even imagine if Twitter was around on the side? I know we say that stuff all the time, but, but it's that's just- the crazy thing, isn't it? Like, he was the first celebrity footballer. 
because yeah like, mm-hmm. if again look let's not beat around the bush we're all kind of like you know uh nine, nine of us here are 30 we didn't see him play live yeah. but he was the first celebrity footballer Pele didn't really get famous in terms of like media spotlight until the latter end yeah 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 he was in Brazil but also like it was afterwards after his career where Pele became a bit more in the spotlight as you know that kind of the media side of the world started to develop and I feel that Maradona his prime was in the perfect kind of like time where you know most people had TVs, etc., and like everyone was watching, and um, everyone was watching his off-field antics as well. And he was in um, more scrutinized leagues. I think to be able to deal with that pressure, whilst also combating kind of uh, you know the lifestyle choices of whether it be drugs, alcohol, or you know excessive partying, whatever, it says a lot about the kind of character he is mentally to be able to deal with those kind of things and. I think, you know, that that is definitely one aspect of him, Diego Maradona, as, as, a, as a person, you know, being able to cope with that pressure. But in terms of the actual talent, I actually think, and it's not a real crazy take here, I think he's the most talented player of all time. Like, I really don't think that there has been, and there is right now, a more talented player. Like, in terms of natural talent, um, and you might argue, like, look, you know, uh, oh, but, you know, Messi might be as good a, a dribbler, but Maradona was a, a more mm. well-rounded athlete, for example. Um, oh, absolutely. A, and I think the natural flair and ability to play football hasn't been see, seen before. And mm. I don't think it will be seen maybe forever, but definitely for a very, very, very long time. I think there's there's some some parallels or comparisons to be drawn maybe with like a Ronaldinho type. I think most people when you watch Ronaldinho, yeah, he was you know he he had that kind of that somewhat similar lifestyle off the field. But when he when it came to stepping on the pitch and and performing, I mean, my goodness, you know the the, the skill, the ability to impact a game like he did throughout his entire career, even until he retired. I mean, that's the, probably the closest player in terms of like. The, the 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 two sides of it, right? the flawed genius was, I think, the, the phrase that was being thrown around around Diego Maradona um, after his you know unfortunate passing last week. But you, know, you look at a player of his caliber, and you know, you know, Pet, you mentioned none of us were able to watch him in his heyday. We kind of only just have YouTube videos and graphics and image and, and testimonials and just experiences that others have had with him. And you look at a player of his ability being able to completely. Uh, uh, you know, eliminate what's going on off the field out of his mind right when he steps on the field and he's just still head and shoulders the best one kicking the football and <laughs> his 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 relationship with that football um i don't have the exact quote on me but it's the, it, it was it was it was from someone i was reading it and it was just really you know kind of you know caught me off guard because you know it's like, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, he loved this, he, his relationship with the football was something like we've never seen before. You know, you, the, the, the warm up, that famous warm up in the, in the uh, UEFA Cup semifinal. I mean, he had everything, right? There's so many iconic images to go through. So many, you know, famous photos, famous shots. The one that kind of comes to my mind is the one where he's stepping up from the stairs and all the media are swarming him when he arrived at Napoli. I mean, you're talking about stepping into a club that, you know, to Martino's point, really didn't have any business winning anything. Um, there was so much domination from Juve and Milan and some of the other clubs in Italy. And then here comes Maradona, you know, coming into Napoli, winning multiple titles uh, for Serie A titles, winning multiple trophies, and just really being a sole reason why a lot of players today want to join Napoli. And, you know, the comments that Dries Mertens put on, on Twitter were oh, yeah, uh, yeah. perfectly encapsulating of that, right? He felt as though that you know, he's almost, I'm sorry that I passed you in scoring because I feel I'm not worthy of being held to a, a higher standard as far as goals are concerned above you. And that's Maradona too, right? You know, you can look at players that have had scored so many more goals, so many more assists, have so many more trophies, but Maradona was more than that. When you watch him pound for pound in terms of his ability, I didn't watch him, none of us watched him, but I think we would all agree that he was just a level above the rest. And it's just unfortunate to see this passing uh, come at 60. And I think it was a couple weeks after 
Um, he just had brain surgery, if I'm correct. So mm, yeah, uh, yeah, nice. a, a big loss, a big loss for the football world. A rest in peace to Diego Armando Maradona. Um, I know we're going to continue to pay homage to him at some point in this, ep- this podcast. And, and we're probably going to have guests on speak on the impact that he's had on their um, lives. But yeah, just definitely a somber period for us. And it's just been a, a difficult year for, for losses in sport between um, Maradona and, and Kobe, right? I mean, it's just oh man, this year, man, this year. Yeah, two two of the all time greats in their respective sports dying in the same year. It's it's really untimely. Like so, forty one, forty two, and sixty. Yeah, jeez. I mean, yeah, and Both, you know, yeah. a, a lot of people would point to uh, Maradona, and a lot of people maybe crudely mentioning how self inflicted it may have been. I mean, in terms of his health and, and kind of how his lifestyle has has impacted that health, but. He had one hell of a life, didn't he? You know, yeah. like but they'll, but they'll say what he won. They'll glorify yeah. George Best all the time, though. Yeah, too, which yeah. is kind and of frustrating. It's, it's, it's the know. same. It's the same. It's the same type of lifestyle. And um, whatever you can say about the likes of George Best and Diego Maradona, they had, you know, they've. they've I mean, had he Diego, to be great Diego lives. is so was so great and so good that we have a player like Messi, who's the player of our generation, right, or Cristiano, whatever that we don't feel like we don't you know press him a lot of people just don't press him for not winning with argentina it's like it's okay man you're not maradona it's not the end of the world like this guy is so good that you could just tell him that it's not your fault like we understand if he can't live up to that because it's just nearly impossible and even you know this the stupid arguments that you see all the time when people like to get in these debates about who's the best ever and all this stuff you can't use the goals and assists it's a totally different no. game at the end of the day. And I've seen a, a few of the games because you could get access to some of them on YouTube. Um, this man was battered and beaten down more than any player. I've oh, ever man. Seen. I mean, just, you know, the way the pitches were back in that day as well. I mean, they, they might as well be a terrible, you know, middle school pitch in the middle of nowhere in Topeka, Kansas, where it's just disgusting and you could easily hurt yourself just by walking on it. I mean, he was kicked and battered and bruised on there. And this is a man that, you know, isn't a physical beast either. This is a man who's 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, he's, he's a smaller version of these people. And so that's harder over a period of time to sustain health because, one, you're smaller and and it's just a fact that you deteriorate faster over time opposed to, uh, you know, a bigger person or athlete. It's just... And I mean, he, he had a bad... A cruciate ligament injury in an mm. era where medicine that wasn't was it. it was like right. a year he was out for a year and nowadays you know if you get a cruciate le- uh, knee injury you are getting back to 99.9 percent of your months, full yeah. capacity in six months i just want to say one more thing and that was um uh ju- just going back a little bit on the him winning the world cup I think in Pele's era, it was really easy to win games and win trophies on your own, being like the player, uh, whether mm. that's because of the quality of opposition, whether that's because of the formatting, whether that's because of the team as he did too. Having, having the better team or whatever. But Maradona's era was harder to do that individually, but it still was easier than it is now, for example. We've mm-hmm. seen it in Champions League's gone by for the past few years that Messi on his own cannot carry this Barcelona team. Even a Messi at the prime of his career could not carry this Barcelona team to a Champions League, and he couldn't carry an Argentina team to a World Cup or a Copa America. It's definitely harder to do. That being said, stats aside, trophies aside, if we look at the individuals as actual footballers, the, the 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 resemblance and the similarities are uncanny, but I think that the kind of athleticism, the physical prowess, the 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 extra notch of flair, and I think the natural talent of Diego Maradona meant that he was a better talent, maybe not necessarily a better player, but Messi will have the better career, and you know, in retrospect, will be maybe known as a better player overall. But I, I do think that is that is an important thing to think about. You know, when comparing players in different eras, you also have to think about, you know, when people think about, we've had this debate, haven't we, Martina, when t- people talk about mm-hmm. the, the Real Madrids in the 50s, they had to win like four games to win a Champions League or whatever. Mm. And I'm always like, well, you know, like... Does Messi uh, even exist in the 80s? Yeah. Does he even <laughs> yeah. get his human growth hormone? No, no, seriously. Exactly. Like, does he no, even but, get his hormones too? Yeah, it's, like exactly. it's a great point. It's a great point. And I think... Um, these are some of the, the intangibles that you can never 
never kind of compare. It's going to be impossible to. No, of course. And and then just the growth of said sport as well, like the ability to grow the sport within that time. It's like the same thing of, you know, it's very similar to Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And Matt could tell you the same with this is that, you know, Michael's ability to just grow the game of basketball, there was a greater capacity to do such a thing because it wasn't as popular back then. Yeah. There wasn't as much media going around. Like people were following LeBron James since he was 14, you know, and the world was already knowing about that game. Like there was the dream team and everything. It was just what Maradona did. Like he set the bar so high that Messi is just chasing a ghost at this point. And it's not, and it's just and it's just unfair, but it's the reality of the situation and what people like to do with this. But you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And if you can enjoy all these players, then you're gonna be looking back like this and say, you know, there's been a few people that said maybe I didn't appreciate Maradona as much as I should have when I was younger or in my formative years. Because now we're never we know we're never going to see anything like that again just like we're never going to see a story like Messi again we're not going to see anything like Cristiano Ronaldo you have to appreciate it now because if not then you're going to regret it for the rest of your life and I I just think it's an important thing to know it's like you know when Ronaldinho was at the peak of his powers oh my god no one better I still haven't seen anyone better it was just amazing but like we never thought and sat there thinking like, oh, we've only got like 18 months of this left. You never know. Yeah. And it's it's the same with mm-hmm. Messi right now. And if you look at his stats last season and, and this season, he's slowly declining. No one beats Father Time. But like three, four seasons ago, five seasons ago, six seasons ago, we weren't sitting there and being like, oh man, I'm just going to soak this in because we might not have have it better and you know there's the Rio Ferdinand uh you know video that always goes around and it's always like memed quite a lot and he talks about like let's just enjoy both these guys it's ridiculous that they're both playing in the same generations Um, and he's in hindsight completely right because I know a lot of people have made fun of it but now we're in a period where Ronaldo and Messi are declining kind of simultaneously um but yeah yeah I mean Look, it's just, it, it's sad on on a final note with Maradona because, I, I don't know, it's just, he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of players. You know, he's he's right there in every single conversation that you're ever going to have. And you can never tell the history and story of this sport without him. And I think that's just important to note. And, and again, I don't think there will ever be a player that will ever have a bigger impact on a club and country than he did it's i it's just gonna be nearly impossible so with that we have to move on um to another player that's had a pretty big impact in the same city that maradona did and that's anderson Cavani, obviously a former napoli player as well but manchester united man i mean look at this 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 is just so impressive and you know he got off to a little bit of a rough start but the guy wasn't really playing at all for months And, you know, you have to get back into shape in your mid thirties. And it seems like he, I, for, to be honest with you, I think he, he did a lot faster than I thought he could have, because I thought it was going to have to be, you know, later towards January that he was going to have to make some significant impact. But I mean, this is just, again, you know, United might not play the most attractive football. They might not be the most dominant team for 90 minutes, uh, week in, week out from each match. But whenever they seem to have needed a goal or a result, someone steps up for him, whether it's Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandez, or Edison Cavani this weekend. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's a very weird team to get a pulse on again, like I've said. But, I mean, this is, this is just another phenomenal performance from another guy who's in his mid-30s that you thought was probably fully past it, but on his best day could still be one of the best players on the pitch. I, I think, you know, what struck me was when he came on, he made more darting runs and had better movement than Greenwood and Rashford combined in those first 45 minutes in the first, you know, maybe 20 minutes that he was on the pitch. I think that that is one of the things that that United front line is missing. When other players have come in uh, at the tail end of the career, be it uh, Ibrahimovic or Falcao or um, uh, Alexis Sanchez, 
you felt that there wasn't the motor there, even though Ibrahimovic did astoundingly well. Um, when he was leading that line, there was a bit of a rigidity about Mourinho's United. And obviously that was attributed a bit to uh, United being managed by Mourinho themselves, not that and the player. But Cavani coming on and showing that he still has the physical ability to continue to make those uh, runs was really, really impressive to me. And I think that if you can get a guy like that to come in and score goals off the bench and improve a Rashford green with Martial in terms of them learning off you, we all know what Cavani's strengths are. His runs, his finishing in the box. He's not an amazing player outside of those. And he works extremely hard. You know what you're going to get from him. Now, he might not have the talent that Marcus Rashford, Greenwood, Martial have, but he's shown that if you can use your edge to your advantage, which his edge is, you know, his finishing, his movement, etc., you can be an extremely, extremely successful footballer. And it just showed to me, you know, like him and how good his movement is. He's got some of the best movement of the last 10 years. You know, that patented front post run, we saw it again. We've seen it so many times for so many different teams and he's just been you know i think he's been one of my favorite forwards over the last uh 10 or so years just because of like the passion that he plays the game with the intensity that he plays it with and i think that movement is the most underrated thing in footballers especially in forwards you know we see how amazing cristiano is in the box the movement is unparalleled the best in the world we see how amazing uh, Erling Haaland's is that we complimented in the last episode at such a young age. We saw how amazing the likes of Robin Van Persie's was. We we see how amazing all these guys are in their ability to be at the right in the right place at the right time because their movement is so so impressive. And I think that is what makes Cavani so so special at this moment in time. And I think you know a great career so far. Hopefully, you can score a few more goals for, for uh, Real Madrid for Man United and cap off what's been a really good career. Cavani's been uh, a player that, you know, even going back to his days at Palermo and then going to Napoli, that I've just kind of, you know, those sorts of players we kind of start to see wane a little bit in terms of their place in a modern 11. And what I mean by that is I think we're so accustomed to now and people that watch football now uh, to, to look at players who are, you know, explosively quick and do all these sorts of things and are just not like box players. But I think with Cavani, I think you, 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 you touched on it brilliantly, Pat, I think in terms of what he offers and what he doesn't. And, but what he offers this team is everything they can possibly need at this moment in time for one or two seasons, right? You know, they have the talent in Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, they have those players, but they need a, sorting, a sort of player that can take those players under, his wing, under their wing and, and ultimately guide them in a direction where they're going to be you know, better off in the long run. And it's many ways similar to a guy like Ibrahimovic, right, who's you know, taken a lot of young players under his wing and shows them how to maybe prepare on a day-to-day basis in training, what to look for in certain games, how to attack certain you know, areas on the field. And I think what we saw with Cavani over the weekend, to come off the bench and to have that sort of impact, you're really starting to see the you know when it comes down to everything right because i think you know people are going to maybe dismiss what he accomplished to a degree at psg or seria but now at this age of his career going into the premier league playing for a club like manchester united then it becomes a little bit more magnifying it's like wow like i'm i'm going to learn to appreciate cavani as a player much more now than maybe i did in previous years and when it's all said and done i think you know look we have we've talked about what players are underrated in this generation, right? We all talk Messi, Ronaldo, but there's a lot of players at this point, at this generation, right? Suarez, you know, Cavani, just to name a few, that seem to be maybe when we all look at the rest of their career, when they all hang it, decide to hang it up, oh, this player was a little bit more underrated. I see a lot of it with Olivier Giroud as a prime example, right? Like it's, it's you, you learn to appreciate these sort of tangible, you know, factors that Cavani can bring to a team and I think it's huge I think he's exactly what they needed I know there was a little bit of a you know uh, a, a moans and groans from the Manchester United fan base because they were so hell-bent and gung-ho on getting uh, Jaden Sancho in there but did they need a Sancho right away I think for this year I think Cavani was the guy they needed someone who can deliver goals someone who can be a leader someone who has a veteran experience and we saw it on the weekend, a perfect example of what he can offer. And I think this is going to be a huge performance going forward. And I think you're going to start to see a lot of the players in that Manchester United squad 
rally around a guy like Cavani. And yeah, I think they can really build some momentum from this. Yeah, uh, definitely. And and you know what? They All they have to do now is just get to January and see what they can do in terms of reinforcements again. I think this is just, you know, it's one of those months and stretches during the footballing season that, you know, advance out of the Champions League group stage, get to January, see if you can get some reinforcements and then, you know, see what happens from there because you never know what could happen. Because when we were talking about United this time last year, we thought Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was, was a, was a guarantee to get sacked and look where they're at now. Um, so we have to move to, you know, there's connecting the dots here of former you know, players in their former clubs. And we got another one with Cristiano Ronaldo. He used to play for Manchester United, obviously, um, at his new club. They're dependent on him. This has just been so embarrassing, in my opinion, of of Juve, considering all the factors that they have and expectations that they should have with him and their team side. You know, I don't disagree with Pirlo and Juve as a whole resting Cristiano Ronaldo against Benevento. First of all, they have the highest wages in the league by almost double the second team. And that's inter. Um, they have, they have, you know, the talent that is just, it's, it's not even close to what Benevento could put out there and they should win this game. They should get three points. And the fact that we were sitting here talking about a draw and that they have players arguing with the refs where Murata is getting a, a two match ban because he can't keep his cool together. And, and it's just, even when Cristiano is playing, they're not playing great. Paulo Dabala has just been absolutely the biggest flop in Serie A this season, besides Christian Eriksen, if you want to go that route, Lataro Martinez, right? There's a couple guys. But he, in terms of my expectations, he's been the biggest disappointment. Um, Bonucci has, has gotten starts sparingly. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't taken on that full role as a leader. But fact is this, guys. Cristiano Ronaldo is not scoring and dominating in these matches. Juve are having a very tough time winning them. And that's a scary sign. So, Matt, you we, we've talked about this uh, at length on mm-hmm. and off the air. What is the problem with, with Juve? Is it just the Cristiano Ronaldo dependency? Or is it, you know, Pirlo's tactics? Is it just going to take more time? Is it other players not stepping up or guys out of position? Because he's bringing on Fabrota as his first sub- substitute off the bench when he has many other options. So for me, I, I just, you know, he's tinkering too much. He's got to be a little bit more pragmatic because at the end of the day, they have as many draws this season as they did last. Well, speaking on Ronaldo and his impact and um, U of A's overall dependency on him, right? Because it's obviously quite a bit, as we've seen. They have have, they have three draws this year, if I'm correct. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. They've drawn five. I lost for five draws. Okay, so yeah. it's three of those. If they have the three draws I'm going to highlight here. I lost Verona. They drew. Ronaldo didn't play that game. I think he was still COVID. I think he wasn't allowed to play that game. Crotone, Ronaldo didn't play that game. They drew that game. Benevento, Ronaldo's resting. resting. They drew that game. That's three games off the top of the hand against, again, Crotone, newly promoted side. Uh, Ellis Brona, not a bad side, mid-table, more or less team that can maybe flirt with Europa League. And now you're talking about Benevento, newly promoted side. So, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the actual Juve this year, um, in comparison to last year, I think a lot of people thought, yeah, maybe despite Pirlo um, being the coach and an experience, we talked about it right when it happened. We touched on it in the episodes that followed, right? Kind of, you know, chronicling his first couple matches in charge and ultimately what we thought of them. It was clear that there's, this was going to be somewhat of a diff- different year for them, right? You know, players adapting to him, the COVID situation, players being in and out of the squad, you know, younger players, as you mentioned, have to kind of play um, uh, unorthodox roles in the squad and in the season. But there's so much in this squad that it's simply unacceptable for them to be strictly just dependent on Ronaldo to do what he's got to do, right? Second leading scorer in Serie A behind Ibrahimovic, who we talked about, you know, his impact at Milan. People looked at this team coming into the season. They're like, well, look, Dybala had a great year last year, Serie A MVP, right? We all know what he's capable of and the partnership he's performed with Ronaldo. They bring in Morata, who's turned out to be a really great signing for them in a second spell at the club. They get Arthur. They have Rabiot in form after a great end to last season. You have Bentonker. You know, you have all these players, Demerol coming back. So you look at the, the sum of their parts and you're thinking, this team should be better. This team should be heading in that the right direction, even with Pirlo being inexperienced as he is. I don't, I don't think it's so much um, on him strictly because I think at the end of the day, we've seen 
players of good quality be able to outweigh the sort of um, the bumps and bruises and the early struggles that a young coach can have like Pirlo. But it kind of falls on everybody, right? Because the, the, the team itself, the performances are just strictly not there. And against some of these teams where not even close. Look, in previous years, when they had Allegri as their coach, when they had mm-hmm. Conte as their coach, and even when they had Maurizio Sarri as their coach, even when they didn't have their best performance, they still found a way to eke out results and get wins. And ultimately, it may not be the sexiest and it may not be what UVA fans want to see because it doesn't give off this sort of confidence heading into the Champions League, which is the main objective for them. But now they're getting those performances all over that are really starting to show real regression. And if they're not careful, they can be relinquishing the title to someone else this year if they don't put it together. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. if we have looked at Juve in the past decade, right, there's dominance they've had. They've been a team that doesn't really quite play their best football until January onwards. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to really start to see with this club. And it's worth mentioning, right? You know, they're in the position in the table they are now, which seems to be pretty favorable despite the struggles they've had. Mm-hmm. If you take out the three, three points they got from the four fifth against Napoli, yeah. it's a different conversation now, right? That's another defeat or maybe another draw or maybe another win. Who knows? But the point I'm trying to make here is they really have to start to pick this thing up quickly and, I don't think it's necessarily down to them making an addition in January. I think they have enough in this squad to do a lot better than they have and to not be so Ronaldo dependent. But I think the ultimate test of what Juve will be this year and what they will achieve ultimately, I think we have to look at it January onwards because I think that's when we're going to start to see them either fall back or make that surge up the table and in the Champions League that they've been making in the past few years. And it is January is their most difficult month by far. If you look at some of the fixtures that they're going to have, I mean, they're the toughest one that they'll have this month is against Santa Lanta and they're going to be playing on the 13th, 16th, 19th and 22nd. So, you know, again, how many of those is Cristiano going to play in as well? Because if he's resting in those, then you might have a bigger issue. Um, and, And you know what? Like it's, it's a tougher league than it was a few years ago when they got um, off to that rough start with Allegri and they ended up winning the league. Um, and, you know, they, I think they've been bailed out by that Napoli result because I think the way Napoli was in form that, uh, that time that they could have definitely have dropped points. So, you know, Pet, as an outsider to Serie A a little bit, someone who doesn't follow it as closely, like what has been your opinion of this? Would you be, do you, do you think there is actually a possibility that Juve does lose out on this title? Because, you know, I think truly this year, and I, we saw a glimpse of it last year, that there it's, it's a little bit more open than some would like to admit. Yeah, I think it's the best chance any other team is going to have since Juventus started dominating again. And I think if you throw into the equation the covid nature of things where there are no fans and maybe you don't get people coming to the Juventus ground fearful you know I think the Invincibles always talk about how when they they were in the tunnel at Highbury and you could hear the fans and they were so close in the tunnel that teams already knew that they'd lost and I think that when teams would go to Juventus with the cloud crowd similarly to Anfield um you just know that that you've lost uh, before you even play. And recently Liverpool have given up their 57 unbeaten run, I think at at home uh, in competitive games. And Juventus have obviously had historically over the last three, four years, an incredible home record. And I think that that alongside, I think probably the weakest squad that they've had for a little while. And I say that because you mentioned getting Arthur in, but they downgraded in my opinion from Pjanic. Right. I know Pjanic didn't have a great season last season, but I still think he's a better player than Arthur. Albeit younger, and they made sense from an accountancy standpoint, as we all well know. I think that was a downgrade, purely. I think there has been something lacking in the midfield centrally for a while. I don't think Federico Chiesa is the best winger in the world, and I thought that that change was a bit weird. I think that there's been a bit too much rotation and from like, I think I understand it, but when you have the likes of Dybala and Kulisevsky um, kind of rotating in and out and not really being able to find your best lineup, 
I think that's weird. They've also become dependent on weird areas of the pitch. So like Quadrado becoming your main focal point creativity, I think is a really weird thing to do. A winger playing right back. And I guess defensively that doesn't set you up in, in the best way as well. I mean, I know Quadrado is a really flexible, uh, good player, but at one point do you not see that? At what point do you not see that as an issue? And I think that all of these kind of micro things alongside let's be honest, a very inexperienced guy in Andrea Pelo taking the helm have ended up in this kind of weird concoction that Juventus haven't really got the edge on teams as they would have in previous seasons. And I think, look, I think if I had to put money on it, they'd probably still win. I think that as we've mentioned on this podcast a load of times that Ronaldo slows up towards the end of the year. And then as the knockout phases come in at the beginning of the year, he starts to ramp up and I'm sure that form will kind of translate a little bit into the league as well. And I'm sure events will start flowing, but I think it's the best chance that any other team will have to take the Serie A crown from them. But I think you guys have summed up loads of that really well. We wanted to focus on another team that have been waking waves in the champions league and also in the Bundesliga, uh, Marco Rose's uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. 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 We need we need people. We need to have like a recorded person, like Next a, a German person. Yeah, we, we need to send us a voice note. Please. We need to send a voice note to to send us Gladbach's like proper pronunciation. We can just like put it in there instead of me saying it. But they've been really exciting. Uh, a team with a young coach, a great project, some really talented players, a really good, talented core of players, and also the ability to take players from teams that maybe weren't doing amazingly, like Briel and Bolo, and get them into the team and get them playing really well. I've been really impressed by them. I think they're going to be very hard-pressed to keep a lot of the players that they have next summer. But at the moment, they're doing really, really, really well um and i see them kind of going from strength to strength in the system that they play the attacking football and and really good football to watch under marco rose that they play i think they are definitely going to get through to the next round of the champions league which is really really impressive and i don't know i I just i just really found them great to watch and and really interesting to to kind of see develop martina i don't know what your thoughts are yeah no um obviously bundesliga was a league that i was following heavily back in um pre-covid um period of, of before everyone started coming back and all the leases Bundesliga was the first one and Gladbach was Gladbach Leipzig and you know Leverkusen were three of the sides for when I was doing all my gambling stuff was teams that I followed heavily and they just snuck in on the last weekend to get into that Champions League spot you know um, which is a major deal because it changed the whole dynamic of the league and you could argue most of European football is simply because of the Kai Havertz situation at Leverkusen they wouldn't have been forced to have sold um, Havertz if they were to, able to qualify but <clears throat> but just the ability to get over that hump and get into the Champions League spot and then play this well and then have your players take a jump like Marcus Taram has because again this is this is a player that's going to be heavily sought after like every top club I think should be looking at him um, and and you know what it's just really fun to just watch them play all the time because you know you're going to get goals you know you're going to get smart play we've talked you talked about how well they've been playing in the champions league they're at top of the group where real madrid shakhtar and inter and yeah you know they've they've scored 14 goals in four games in the champions league the differentials at 10 they're de- they've had the best defense as well like can by three goals you know, we talk about Antonio Conte's mastermind and, and how well he plays and his teams get defensively, but they've been poor. Real Madrid obviously have one of the best center backs of all time. And then, you know, the Verane pairing with Sergio Ramos is, is well documented. And they've just been better than them. And it's not even really close in comparison to these other sides. Um, so for me, it's just these are the things that you have to appreciate more with some of these clubs that don't have the massive budgets. They don't have the master appeal as some of these other sides. And I know they're not doing that great in Bundesliga, but just the ability to just stick to their plan, know what they're capable of, you know, get the most out of all their talent. It's like squeezing a sponge to the very last drop that you have. And I, I just been always very impressed by them these past few months. And I continue to be Um, obviously they're going to have to change what's going on in the league. There's plenty of time to do that. We're nine matches in. There's another 25 in the Bundesliga. But for me, I mean, they're a joy to watch. And 
I think they could actually make some noise depending on the matchup that they get in, in the qualifying rounds of um, the Champions League. So for me, I really enjoy them. I don't know about you guys. And, um, and, and guys, just real quick mm-hmm. before we move on, the questions here. Marcus Duram, Erling Holland, two of the most sought-after strikers in world football, very young, very promising, both represented by... Of course, you know, <laughs> so this guy is just there's a reason why I mean, everyone gets angry about you know Raiola this Raiola that but there's a reason why players choose him for representation so of course it's going to be another fascinating transfer saga coming up in the summer on these two players specifically I anticipate big moves ahead for them um, I'd be stunned if Holland stays at Dortmund for another year although again of course things could happen but Thuram he's on the fast track to being uh, a superstar striker and maybe following the footsteps of his father. Ram. So, <laughs> well, I, we'll I think the thing, the thing that I've said on this podcast for the past, or maybe even few weeks really, is there is a lack of quality in mm-hmm. the under 23, under 25 year old striker category. And Marcus yeah. Trum has played predominantly a lot of his football on the left wing, but I think he will end up as a number nine and a very, very good one. So there is absolutely no surprise that teams are looking at them very, very uh, closely. And I mean, could it be that Erling Haaland leaves and his replacement is none other than Marcus Turan? Could we see something like that? <laughs> you never know, possible, right? Yeah. It's possible. It's a possibility, Viola, yeah. Viola has the great relationship with Dortmund. Um, they'll want to, you know, they'll be like, okay, well, y- you're going to get him gone for whatever it is, 60, 80 million, whatever the buyout clause is, which is way under market value. But in response, please go find us someone that is a replacement that we can get for maybe half of that. Familiarity with the league, has Champions League experience. Um, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, It does, you're right. It could be a no-brainer. Let's see, let's see. That's, that's one that I'm, I'm not putting my hat on, but if it happened, I wouldn't be shocked. But yeah, if it does happen, we'll get the clip. If it doesn't happen, you never said it. Roll the tape. So. Exactly, the tape. man. <laughs> Marcus <All> right. who? <laughs> exactly. Um, so question time, right? Um, which one do we want to hit first, fellas? You guys, uh, let me know. We'll go for for hardest first. Uh, All right. Well, uh, you want to read it or I'll read it? (laughs) Go on. You you do the reading. (laughs) Okay. We'll go with, uh, Roberto Grosso's first. Um, thoughts on Sassuolo start to the Serie A season. Can they keep it up for the long haul? And can you see him in a European spot at the end of the year? Matt, you could go first with this. Um, yeah, well, first off, Roberto, thanks for the question. Always kind of throwing those into our episodes. We really do appreciate it. But uh, with Sassuolo, I've been adamant on them being a really top team, a team that's on the rise, a team that, you know, if you're not familiar with what they're doing and their coaching uh, coaching and their play style, make sure you guys give them a watch. I know they had a difficult result against Inter last weekend, but I think overall they're a team that um, is attractive. They play really appealing football, uh, more progressive, which is something you want to see attacking minded and I, I think that's also a team that definitely could be in that conversation for for Europa League Champions League I, I don't think that's going to happen I think there's going to be a point in time where maybe they regress to the mean they kind of fall back down to earth um, but that, that, is, that isn't to say that they can't be in contention for Europa League I think the pack is going to be very wide for the competition this year given that some of these teams like um, you know Roma Napoli Atalanta Lazio you know some of them are off to some shaky starts here so I think mm-hmm. the pack is going to be expanding in that regard, but yeah, I think just overall speaking on Sassuolo and what they've accomplished, I mean, they got the young talent, they got the players at Caputo and, and, and up front, they got a little bit of a mixture here of quality, and a lot of these players, I know the owner has speaking highly of Berardi and, and Volga, and ultimately what sort of fee it would take to get them, um, 60, 70 million, so it speaks volumes as to what sort of um, talent they know they have in these two guys, but yeah, I think Sassuolo are going to be a fun team to watch the rest of the way. I'm curious to see if they can keep most of these players intact, but more so if they do see some uh, significant sales in the summer, can they find a way to keep this project moving forward in many ways, similar to what Atalanta has been doing, right? Where they sell a big player for a big fee, but they find a Norwegian left winger, they turn into a wing back and he's <laughs> uh, you know a star player. So we'll have to wait and see, but Sassuolo team definitely you could check out. And I think, you know, I mentioned in a couple episodes ago that Jeremy Boga had hardly played any minutes for them. And I thought he was yeah. the best player last season. He's now getting himself back into the fold after having COVID and having to isolate. It's going to be really interesting how those 
talented kind of, I'd call them the front front six, maybe. Basically, yeah. everyone apart from the defence meshes and, and works together and, and goes on from, from here in the season. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you had a question, I believe, uh, queued up from one of your buddies, and I believe it involved one of Hakan Chalanoglu. Timer's going to go off in a second here. Got it. <laughs> so, go, I, I okay, know. so, yeah, yeah. I had a question from my friend Jacob. Shout out to him. Uh, for sending this through, he asked, how do you think Hakan Chalhanoglu would fit into United's side if the rumors are true of him joining? Now, of course, if you guys missed this on the weekend, Christian Falk, who's a big uh, German football journal writer, reporter, however you want to kind of label him, but he's usually very reliable and he spoke on the situation regarding Hakan. Of course, he's entering um, a contract expiration year 2021. So there's a little bit of a conundrum that Milan faces in trying to get a deal done. There's some distance on the figures between what uh, Chalhanoglu and his agent want versus what Milan are willing to offer. So we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. But as far as how Hakan would fit hypothetically in United system, I think there's some misconception from many fans, and I've been reading the comments, as to what type <laughs> of player Hakan is. Um, I think many people are, are you know, misreading the sort of early seasons that he had at the club where he played um, in the midfield three. He left played winger. as a left left mid, left winger. He played kind of out of position before eventually he was playing in the hole as a number 10, which is what he is best at. And he is just that. He's a number 10. I'm not saying he can't play out wide in a pinch for you, but I think if you want to get the best out of him, he's got to be playing behind the strikers because I think in 30-something games in 2020, I don't have the exact numbers there with me, but in all competitions, he's put up 13 to 14 goals and around the same amount of assists. So he's a player that likes to be more forward towards goal, you know, initiate that final pass, release those final passes to the strikers. Um, maybe Cavani, if he's there another year, who knows? But in any case, I think, look, he's not going to unseat Bruno Fernandes in the team. But I think well, that's what I was going to say, you, Matt. Like, right. why would Man U pay a lot pay of that money, money in his wages? I think it's for a worse version of Bruno Fernandes that isn't going to sell. Donny Van Beek could just. But listen, but what I think with this is, I think what United are seeing is that they're going to be able to get guys like Mata, Lingard, probably their wages off the books. And you don't have to pay a transfer fee for Hakan. You can pay him a little bit more. You can pay him essentially what maybe around you'd be paying a Mata or someone of that similar you know, pay structure. And you're getting a player who has experience playing at a big club, who's produced in recent years, so he's in good form. And also you're getting him at, a, at, at the ripe age of 26, 27. So I think if you're united, you can look the route of going for a young player, but I think they're anticipating a summer where they hopefully will spend on the players they need to take the next level. And if you can get a guy like Hakan for a free transfer and maybe you'll compensate for that by paying him a little bit more than you probably would, then I think it's a gamble willing that the United are willing to take. And I don't see anything wrong with it because you all know injuries come up and to have a guy like Hakan to be, you know, being effectively, a, you know, stepping into a Bruno Fernandez role in, in, a, in, a, in a bind, I don't think it's a bad thing to have right now, but I think if you're Hakan and you want to get paid and that's your big driver by all means, but I think he's at the heart of a Milan project now where I think there's still the possibility of him renewing with Milan, despite the 90% you know, uh, probability that he, that uh, Christian Falk put on Hakan going to United. I, I just can't see why United would do this. I, I, I get some of the reasoning there, Matt, but like I just, they've recruited so badly at points in the past they have bought donny van der beek and invested quite a lot in him uh money wise mm-hmm. and uh in terms of wages i think i think this is just hot air from agents really and i know christian falk might be reliable but right. if the sources are coming from the agent side and i know for a fact that united are used a lot by agents to get better deals for their players from other teams or the team that they're currently at. You know, we've seen it with Sergio Ramos in the past. We've seen it with X, Y, and Z. You can name as many players as you want. Like, I just don't see... If United are going to lose Mata, Matic, whoever else in next summer, probably not Matic because he signed a new contract last year, um, I don't really see why Hakan would be the replacement. But again, if it happened, I wouldn't be completely shocked, but it would make very little sense to me. Yeah, but how how many other moves have they made that have made very little sense? A lot of them. Well, well listen, I, I, agree, I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, if you're speaking uh, to, as to whether or not I think it's the move that United should make and that Hakan should make for his career, I don't think it's the best fit. I think him staying at Milan and, you know, them meeting at some sort of you know, reasonable pay, pay grade, pay upgrade, I think that's probably where he would be best suited. 
but uh, yeah, I did. You're definitely valid in your some of your concerns with this move because it seems as though it's one of those things where, hey, guys, we got a player. Like, look, he's coming from Milan, and that's pretty much it. I think they have more pressing needs. So to pay a guy like Hakan to be essentially like a backup or like a third choice in this position, yeah, seems to be a little strange, but. We'll have to wait and see. It could be a power play by his agent, you know, to get more money to force Milan's hand because they don't want to lose a player of at his age for free, right? Their model has always been, at least in under this new regime, to buy players young and to sell them for a profit. To let a guy like Hakan walk would be uh, a little bit tough to take. But I think if you're Milan, then you have to also understand that we're not going to stretch the numbers here for Hakan when we know we got to pay Donnarumma. We know we got to pay potentially Romagnoli on a new contract. So I think that's what we have to wait and see with this. I think it's Milan or United, though. I think those are the two teams. Either he stays mm. or he goes to United. And they I, don't I, have a solidified center attacking midfielder. Brahim Diaz's yeah. situation isn't there. Yeah. They say Sabazlai, but come on. Dominic Sabazlai is going to be heavily sought after by a yeah. bunch of teams. And Maybe we Arsenal. saw again last year with <laughs> Erling. Yeah, exactly. We saw last year with Erling Holland, like people were in clubs were hesitant to trigger that 20 million euros because we thought, oh, like, we saw a small sample size. We're not sure if we should pull the trigger. We have a much but bigger still, sample but even, size. But even okay. then, the, the, the choices were Juventus, United, or... Exactly, Portland. yeah. So that's big competition, <clears throat> but he was sent to the team that made him progress the best. And I think, you know, Soboslai, would you see him starting for Juventus? No. Would you see him starting for Chelsea? No. Like, is he going to make a difference at a team like Milan or Arsenal? Probably. So Absolutely. if you're him, you probably go for that kind of stature of team. Just going back to the Hakan thing, I think if I look at the wave that United have recruited this summer just gone, uh, and January actually, in, in Bruno, Cavani, um, Tejas, and uh, Donny van der Beek, there seems to be a bit more structure and a bit more smarts around those. So, you know, I, I don't know if I see them reverting to doing something dumb like giving Hakan however much money a year. But anyway, let's move on to the final question. Yes, UEFA Team of the Year is from uh, Omar Hernandez. Um, We're in a WhatsApp chat with him that Roberto Rojas created, so great to get the feedback from him. And hello to everybody in the WhatsApp group, by the way, from the State Playboys. Um, So yeah, UEFA Team of the Year, an odd year to do such a thing. Um, But I think there is a solidified 11, and I think we should try and stick to, you know, splitting this up a little bit. I think we could, you know, someone picks their defense, someone goes with the midfield because we're, uh, we don't have much time left. And then the attack, um, who wants the defense? Because I know. I think what we should do is just go position by position and just see if we can get some consensus. Okay. Right back. Trent Alexander. Well, let's go goalkeeper first. Okay. goalkeeper. Manuel Neuer. Any, any other shots? I think no, he had the best year it. in 2020. I think he, yeah. he had the best. For a treble-winning team, too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He gets it. Right back. Trent. Yeah, I agree. Matt, mm-hmm. any thoughts there? No, I definitely, Trent, he's got to get that nod. Cool. Uh, at centre-back, Virgil. right centre-back, Virgil. Virgil van Dijk. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I would agree. Matt? Virgil, and then I would go to the next one. I would have to say Ramos. If we're doing I, like I a would... four, four in the back. I would also go Ramos at centre-back. Ramos, well. yep. Uh, Alfonso Davis at left-back? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Uh, midfield, uh, Thiago? Yeah, Thiago is one of them, I would, yeah, I would just, say. Uh, I, I would say Thiago, Kevin De Bruyne, and then I'd have one other, which I'm not 100% certain. I have certain those on. two and Kimmich. And okay, Kimmich yeah, the yeah. those two and Kimmich. I would agree with those three. Matt, any... any discrepancies in your end no i'm just seeing it's pretty much the Bayern 11 here (laughs) (laughs) hey man you win the trouble and listen it's gonna be every single game you win every single game in the champions league you deserve it like uh, Mm. again you know how we talked about earlier in the episode not appreciating something within the moment we have to appreciate what Bayern did they deserve that um attack front three uh Lewandowski as one yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i i have my front i could just uh it's Lewandowski, Messi. You could just put them on the right for sake of argument, and then Cristiano on the left. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Um, you know, that's there are players. That's tough, though. It's tough. There are players Holland. like Holland. I mean, Holland had a great. There are players tied like with... Harland, Sancho, sure, but Lewandowski was all timer. Great... Lewandowski would have been listen, ball on listen, listen, you're talking to the biggest 
Robert Lewandowski stand here. But what I'm saying to you is, what I'm saying to you is, (laughs) Holland was was I think level on goals in the group stage when he was at Salzburg with Lewandowski. He made the move to Borussia Dortmund, and he was maybe a goal or two off. Like, of course, it's tough. It's like it's Messi, Ronaldo. You feel like they gotta be there, right? Obviously, but. Then there's Lewandowski, but there's can, maybe you take Ronaldo or Messi for hey, Holland. Yeah, I don't know. I no, think no. there are players that had really, really good 2020s as well, like very close to Messi Ronaldo levels. So, yeah, I think Nabry is one of them. I think uh, Jaden Sancho is one of them. Uh, 20 goals, 20 assists last season. I think Mo Salah still deserves Mo Salah. Sado Mane, mm-hmm. I think, had yeah. a, probably his best season in the Liverpool shirt last season. There are players that were very, very close to Ronaldo Messi yeah. levels. Some would even argue better than them in those wide areas. Um, sure. But here we are. Those two remain. Leon kept up. I think that's the 11. Yeah, I think so. We, we had one it. last minute come in, by the way. Roberto Rojas just now. Oh, okay. Literally just now, two minutes ago. <laughs> Are Atletico Madrid serious contenders yes. for the Liga title? Yes. 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 Why? Uh, Matt, you can go answer that if you want. I just think that I just think it's it's a year of uncertainty, right? And I think this is a year where you're going to get a surprise team. Or maybe not a surprise team. That's the wrong way to put it. But I think they're finally getting Jao Felix to play to that potential that they they invested in. And I think when you see Barcelona struggles, you see Madrid kind of uh, going through their own struggles as well. You feel as though the league is is welcoming. It's 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 yearning for someone to step up and overthrow those two teams who seemingly seem to win it every year. So, absolutely, Atletico Madrid definitely should be taken seriously as a title contender in La Liga. I totally agree. Uh-huh. I think Jao Felix is having a break, break, breakout year. Best player in La Liga right now. Best player in La Liga right now at the moment. Up until this point, he's been the best player in La Liga. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, yeah, I think he's been exceptional, and I think he could carry them close. Um, and let's see how much of an impact Suarez and Diego Costa come and have when they are fit uh, or healthy, respectively. You got you got to just really like. But the best way to bog this down and and analyze this is who are their main competitors, and not only as of today, but for the rest of the season that you see that are going to be there for all thirty nine matches and uh, thirty eight. And for me, it is just Real Madrid. I don't really see Barca coming into play with this. I'm going to keep on saying and going with that. I mean, I think they'll make a run like they usually do. I think they're obviously going to have to eventually make an impact with Messi. Otherwise, then there's just bigger issues that probably need a whole episode to discuss. But um, yeah, I just, I really do think that. I think everyone is clicking. Zhao Felix is making the jump that he needs to make in order for them to win this trophy. And they've done it before. It's, this isn't like... They're not in like these waters that they've never been in. Like Diego Simeone winning that league one year with Atletico went at the peak of the Messi Cristiano rivalry is one of the best achievements in, in football in the past decade. And and I say that with without any hesitation. So for me, I, I do think they're more than capable of it. And as of today, I say they're the favors. Um and that should be everything then. Oh yeah. I so, think so. Yeah. Episode 67 in the books. We kick off December. We are very close to 2,000 followers. We will be looking to get into a giveaway very soon, but we'll give all those details out when that happens. We have very exciting news coming, I believe, next week, gentlemen. We're able to discuss it or reveal it, Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, Follow us on Instagram at the State of Play Pod. You could obviously... um, Follow us all on Twitter. Pet, you can go ahead and give yours. Chase to 1K. We got a lot to do it. <laughs> you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter, on Instagram, etc. All that good jazz. Come uh, chat to me about Arsenal being shit. <laughs> you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. And the same thing. I love the banter. I want all the smoke. Give it to me. <laughs> Sorry, that caught me off guard. <laughs> Listen, when we get to some sort of landmark, whether it be 2,000 followers, before we recorded this, Martino did his best British impression ever, and I laughed my absolute ass off. So we need to, we need that to start. <laughs> but it has to be organic. I'm one of those people that does good impressions, but it has to be organic. Like you can't, you can't just tell me to do it because I'm that was like, good no, though. That no, was good. Thank you. It was really thank good. You. Thank you. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio um gaining gaining more followers the feedback has just been fantastic 
obviously with the post Milan match review threads. I think we should also just have a game of the week that you guys want us to review. Um, we'll have two of us on and we just go live on Periscope. You know, perfect example could have been a Chelsea Spurs game gone on after that. Um, and also, we'll I think have... we're going to do some joint Periscopes at some point, all three of us. Yes, which we yeah. need to, I think you know how to do that. Me and Matt are um, kind of Neanderthalish with it all. So maybe some IG lives too. Maybe some IG lives too. Maybe. That's something that's we got to put down. on some reels. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. the reels on IG? Oh, gosh, those those talk, have been please. those have been banging. Yeah, but um, please retweet, share, like everything. Um, again, we've just had so many milestones within the past twelve months, um, and, and we'll review some of those when um, we can. But just you know getting to all these followers here being nominated for the FCAs, the athletic sponsorship. It's all a testament to our listeners and, and you guys helping us out. Um, it's just a very loyal fan base and we really do appreciate everyone that does tune in. I think I speak for the fellas in saying that um, other than that, you can listen to some more key.